Thank you. That was good. That was good. All right. I am excited because we're at church, and that's exciting. It's, it's a privilege to be able to be here in God's house, and it's a privilege to be able to be with you all, and it's a privilege to be able to speak with you. Uh, if you will, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. And I wanted to thank all of you, uh, since I had this time, is uh, to thank all of you who prayed for our winter retreat this past uh, Sunday and Monday. Uh, we went to a place called Kirkmont Camp. That's uh, a small place, and we rented out one of the cabins and just got to enjoy time. It's good for teenagers just to be able to disconnect, you know, and to disconnect from the world and be able to connect with other believers. So that was kind of our, our focus there, and it was good. I, what I love is two things. I love a lot of things, but two things is that God was awesome and worked beautifully, and that we have some awesome teens here. If you don't know the teens, and I'll, I'll, I might mention it in, later in the message, but meet them. Go meet them. They're, they'll change your life. They really will. So we're in Mark chapter 10, and we are in uh, our Where Does It Go series. And what we've talked about so far, here, we'll, we'll do an interactive exercise. You ready? Everyone's like, oh, no, what is he going to make us do? All right? Okay, we did our, we did our uh, what, Where Did It Go series, and we're talking about stewardship. What are some things that we've talked about so far? Someone yell them out. What have we talked about? Okay, I got finances. I heard time. What else? Family, good. What else? That's three. That's good. That's usually the correct answer, Zeke. That was good. All right. Uh, We talked about very, very, very beginning. We talked about God's word. And then we talked about finances. We talked about stewarding your gifts, stewarding your time, and then family. We got most of them. And I'm going to finish out our series with... um, with uh, leadership and how do we steward our leadership? And I, I thought about it, and it seems kind of like a, like a weird question, but it's actually not. It's very biblical, and it applies to each one of us, and I want to show you that here tonight. Um, I, have a, I have a little little exercise for you. Go ahead and hit me with that next side if you don't mind. All right? So according to secular research, I want you to ask your neighbor this. When I say go, okay, you're going to ask your neighbor who do you think, and remember this is secular research, okay? This isn't like we're, we're in a Sunday school class looking at. This is secular research. Who do they say are the top five leaders of all time in history, okay? All right, ready? Ask your neighbor and go. <laughs> that was good. Top five, five. I want to hear that one. That one sounds good. <laughs> All right, let's see what we got. All right, any guesses? Anybody want to yell them out? What do you think the top leader is? Top five. Let's go. What? <laughs> Abraham Lincoln? Eli, what were you going to say? Ronald Reagan? That's good. All right, let's go to number five. Let's see who number five is. Winston Churchill. Someone said that. Good job. All right, that's number five. All right, led Brandon World War II. Good. All right, him with the next one. Okay, Nelson Mandela, all right, former president in South Africa, all right, hit with the next one. Someone said it. Here we go. Number three, Abraham Lincoln, good, very good, led America during the Civil War, all right, next one, number two, all right, <laughs> good job. Martin Luther King Jr., a prominent American civil rights leader, good, all right, who do we think the last one is? Any guesses? Washington, that's a really good guess. It's not right, but it's a really good guess. All right, all right uh, it is. You're, when you see, you'll be like, oh, okay. All right, hit me with number one. 
Gandhi. Yes, good. All right, Gandhi. All right, let America, let, not America, let India's independence from British rule. Good. All right, now, now here's the real big question, okay? Now there's someone missing in this list. Who is it? Hey, good job. All right, I'm proud we said that, church. It's good, right? Jesus is missing, right? We're missing Jesus, the leader of the biggest shift in history, the gospel, Christianity. You know, there are so many leaders in the world, and even on top of how many leaders there are, there are, there are so many techniques, there's so many principles, there's so many opinions, there's so many perspectives. And even preparing for the sermon, I was kind of, because I want to I wanna cast my out there and see what there all is to say about leadership. And there was just so much. And there was this overloading of information regarding leadership. And there, there are so many leaders and we're so many with so much good information. And I was asking myself, where do you even begin to think about leadership? And to think about it properly, even more than that, how do I steward my own leadership? But what I thought about and what the Lord worked to me, and it's like there's only one leader who did it perfectly. There's only one leader who led perfectly. And he is the best example of a leader. And it amazes me when you stop and think about it. Because you have all these leaders throughout all of history. These leaders in thought, philosophy, science, academia, uh, government. But what was so cool to me is Jesus did more in three years during his earthly ministry than any of them could do in their lifetime. Or anyone could. Think about that. Let me say that again. That should amaze you. Jesus did more in three years during his earthly ministry as a leader than any, one of the, any person in history could have done in their lifetime. That's how amazing Jesus is. He did so much in three years. And I think what would be wise for us to do as Christians and as leaders is to look at the best leader. And it's, it's not bad to look at these different leaders and see their techniques, but they're, they're not perfect. Jesus is. And Jesus is a leader who we can... Who, and what I love about Jesus is he didn't just lead, he also taught others how to lead. He taught the disciples how to lead. And Jesus understood that everything truly does rise and fall on leadership. If you have a bad leader, you're often going to be led to a bad outcome. If you're with a good leader, you're going to be led to a good outcome. And if you're with the greatest leader, you're going to be led to the greatest outcome. And, and why, why is this important? Why are we talking about leadership? And I believe a lot of you, you said it, right? Jesus is the perfect leader. But we have to also see, as Christians, is that we are called to be leaders, even more than that, we are expected and, and commanded to lead. Think about it for a second. I really want you to wrap your mind about this. Because I want you, as we go through this sermon, to be bank, thinking about, this is my leadership role. And all of you have one. Whether it's as, as a husband, whether it's as, as a parent, whether it's somewhere in the church as, as a pastor, as a deacon, as a teacher, as you're in charge of some service area, uh, your discipleship groups, of evangelism, even that you're a leader leading people to the Lord. Uh, in your work, in your extended family, with your friends. Uh, if, if, you're, if you're an older person in the church, you are automatically a leader that is supposed to help the younger people. It says that in Titus, throughout all of Titus, it says older people help the younger people because you are leaders, right? We can't hide from it. You can't leave here tonight and say, I'm not a leader. You have to choose, I'm a leader, am I going to lead the right way or am I just going to try to ignore it because I can't take on that responsibility, right? What we have to see is that we are called to be leaders, you are a leader somewhere. And for kids, right there, looking at all of you, all right? And then for our teens, you guys, like, let no man despise your youth. It's not that you're just growing into a leader. You guys are leaders now in your, in your school, in the church. There's higher grades and lower grades. Higher grades are supposed to lead the lower grades, right? That's how it's supposed to happen. The Lord set this up the right way. 
So saying all that, what I'm trying to get the point through us to is that you're a leader. So then we, this is very important then. It's like, well, how do I, how do, I do it? Like, how am I supposed to lead? And I'm not just going to give you a whole bunch of principles from, from my personal experience. What I'm going to give you is what Jesus did and how he said, here's how you lead. So our big point today is every believer, that's you here tonight, if you believed in Christ, can steward their role as a leader by examining three leadership qualities of Jesus in Mark 10, 35 through 44. We are to lead through 45. We are to lead biblically. And Jesus' example shows us how to. And throughout this sermon, what I encourage you to do is think about and ask yourself, where are you a leader? And then think about your role and apply this truth that we'll see, not from me, but from God's word, and apply it directly to your leadership role. So let's go into the context. But before we do that, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, what an honor it is to be in your house, what an honor it is to be able to deliver your word here tonight. Lord, your Holy Spirit is active and working each one of us, and I pray that, uh, Lord, you show us, through Jesus' example, how we are to lead the people in our lives. And help us to know, even going into this, that it's by your strength and your power that we can do this. So help us to rely on you and see your truth in your precious holy name. Amen. All right. So where we're jumping in in, in Mark uh, chapter 10 is Jesus' ministry is, is coming to an end. We're right near the, the triumphal entry in Mark. And Mark's big focus here and we talked about this in uh, teen class, is that Jesus, the Son of God, is the suffering servant, right? So it's all about how Jesus is suffering and how he's serving and how he's the Son of God who is suffering and serving. And Jesus shows how to lead through that suffering and through that serving. So let's look. I just want us to read for a second and just kind of get what's going on in this passage before we get really to our text tonight. So we're in Mark chapter 10, and let's start in verse uh, 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. That's a, that's a big ask. And then verse 36, he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? And they said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit, one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand, in thy glory. But Jesus said unto them, Ye know not what ye ask for. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We can. And Jesus said unto them, You shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of and with the baptism that I am baptized, and withal shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. So here's what's happening here. Verse 35, we see it very clearly. James and John come up to Jesus and they say, Hey, Jesus, we're going to ask you something kind of big. Can you say yes to it? <laughs> that's that's kind of how they're approaching it. Jesus, we have this big ask for you. Uh, will you do this for us? And what we actually see, I think, is, is fascinating to me. Uh, in Matthew, we actually see that it's their mom that initiated this question. So mom literally comes up and says, Hey, Jesus, can you make sure my boys have a good spot in heaven? And it's even more than that. It's like, I want them to have the best spot. Like, I want them to be at your right and left hand, Jesus. And they're boldly asking him here. And what Jesus says is, is very interesting. In verse 38, he says, you don't know what you're asking for. And he also talks about this cup that he's drinking of. Whenever you see that in Scripture, it's referring to, to this, this, this punishment, this hardship that is coming. Jesus is saying, I'm going to be suffering and I'm going to be persecuted. Are you prepared to go through that? 
And verse 39, the, the two, two uh, disciples say really quick, I imagine saying it, yes. They didn't even really process Jesus' questions. I could, I could see it. They say, oh, we can. Yeah, we can do that. We can drink the cup. We're with you, Jesus. And they're not really thinking about what that really means. So Jesus says it again. You shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of. And with the baptism I am baptized with all, y'all, y'all, uh, y'all, shall ye be baptized. Sorry, my southerner came out. I was reading that. My apologies. All right? But what it's saying is, in the end of verse 39, is saying, James and John, if you continue to follow me, I'm promising you, suffering is going to come. And then he says in verse 40, and it's not my position to give. You want to be at my, my right hand and at my left, it's God who gives this. The Father, more specifically, who gives this. God the Father grants this authority. So with all that buildup, we have James and John asking, can we be up there with you? And Jesus says, you're, you're missing the point. right? Are you ready to go through the suffering? Know what's going to happen. Jesus is about to go into to teaching them. I love how Jesus does this. They, they bring up a question, and Jesus goes in to teach them the right way to think. And what we see in verse 41 is very interesting, because Jesus is no longer just talking to the two disciples. We see all ten, the other ten disciples, they get kind of upset, saying, who are you, James and John, to be like, we're going to get at the right and left of Jesus. Who are you guys? Like, why do you get to do that? It's kind of like if you're, you're young, like your younger sibling is asking for the inheritance, right? Like, it's like, no, the older kid gets it. it we get it. And it's this, this argument here. And what we see is Jesus says, I'm going to teach you the right way to think. What the disciples were doing right now is thinking so much about themselves. And it wasn't just James and John. It was all of them. That's why they're all mad and displeased. They're saying, I want to be the most important. Focus on me. I want to be the greatest leader next to Jesus, which is big. That's a big thing to say. We see Jesus teaches us how to lead through this properly and biblically, for God's glory. And he does it by emphasizing three qualities. So let's look at the first one. We see quality number one. Jesus emphasizes humbleness. He emphasizes humility. And we see this in, in verse 42. And it says, But Jesus called to them and said unto them, You know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. So you have to understand the context at this time, the leaders during that time. And Jesus is talking right now about the, the Roman leadership. And what these Romans were all about is power and authority. And it really was. The more power you have, then the more important you are. Like, if you want to be seen, you got to be at the very top. And the people who had power, they, they, they were to, to make it harder on everyone else to show how strong they were. They were trying to make life miserable for everyone to make them feel more powerful. It was all about how you can be the strongest, how you can be on top, how you can make sure everyone else is pushed down lower so you can stand up higher. And basically put how the Romans viewed leadership is the leader gets to make them, their self successful while making everyone else miserable. Because it was about them. I mean, and... and no one wants to follow a, a leader like that. And that's kind of what Jesus is saying here. He's saying the le- example of leadership you have seen, and it's not just through the Roman government, it's also through even the, the, the Pharisees, these Jewish religious leaders. They were all about themselves. They were all focused on, on uplifting themselves. And Jesus is saying here, that, that's, that's not a leader. That lends more to is just being a, a selfish tyrant that's all about praising them. And the first thing that Jesus shows us about leadership, and we have to get, because you cannot lead properly unless we understand this idea. Leadership is not about you. And it's not about promoting you. And the Romans and Jewish people and the disciples all didn't understand this. And so often, we don't either. 
let's make it really pointed. The goal of your leadership in your family, in your school, in your work, in, in church is not about putting you up on a pedestal. And think about that. Because so often what I can see in, in my leadership is I do a lot of things so that I can make sure I'm successful or I'm liked or that everyone stays around me, right? It, it's this idea of, of uh, let's use some examples, in, in marriage, right? My marriage is not about me making myself feel really fulfilled and in control as a leader. It's not about me feeling like I have control of everything and that I'm the perfect husband. When, when we parent, and I, I know I'm speaking as someone who doesn't have kids, right? When you parent, your goal for parenting is not about making sure you're seen as, as the perfect parent. Your goal in work is not making sure everyone fears you. Your goal in church is not making sure everyone likes you. What I'm saying here is that so often when we lead and we have these different leadership roles in our family, in our work, in church, in our friend group, we're so often thinking about what can I do to make sure myself is promoted? And you say, well, Miles, I'm, I'm doing this thing to help them, but so often I do it with the wrong motive. So often I go and I talk to this person because I want to get something out of it. And I want to uplift myself. And if your measure of leadership is how do I feel and how do I succeed, I believe you're really looking at it all wrong. And I believe that's what he's saying here. Because what are they doing in verse 42? What are these rulers doing? They're saying, look at me. I'm the strongest. I have authority. You listen to me. I say it. You do it. No questions asked. You follow me and I'm going to force you to follow me. There's no love in there. There's no care. There's no listening. There's no, no respect for the other person. And let's really look at Jesus' example here. The most perfect example is Jesus, and we see that in Philippians 2. And what I have for each of your points as a subheading is I want us to see how Jesus gives the principle and how he lives it out through the rest of Scripture. How we see that Jesus doesn't just, this is one important thing about a leader. He doesn't just say to do it and expect you to do it, but he says, I'm not doing it. Be humble. I'm not going to be humble. I'm not going to be humble. But, but you be humble. No, he says, be humble as I was humble, and as I am humble, as we see in Philippians 2. Let's look at Philippians 2, uh, verse 6, 6 through 8. Well, it says, and really listen, you've heard it before, but hear it again because it's beautiful. Say, who being in the form of God, thought not robbery to be equal with God, made of himself no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant. It was made of the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. What was Christ's focus? Is it, man, I gotta make sure everyone's looking at me because you gotta make sure you love me and I, I gotta feel liked and I gotta feel loved to uplift myself. Was his focus, I gotta make sure that I'm happy and comfortable and at ease. As long as I'm comfortable, then everyone else can be comfortable. It's me first, then others. Look at what it says there, that he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. It wasn't about him, it was about his, his love for us. He's literally the one who was seated in heaven. Yet he cared so much about me that he left, his, his, left heaven to come down to a sin-cursed world. And not just come down to the world, to die for me. If that's not humility, and if that's not humble leadership, I don't know what is. That's the best example of humble leadership. It wasn't about him. It was about him coming and being a servant. In America, we are so oftentimes position-driven. 
And we can see this in the corporate world. We can see this even in, in the church world. We can see this in so many different things. We want the position. And once we get the position, then we feel like we fulfilled something. I got to get that position. And it, it could be a title or it could be I want to reach this goal. And once I reach it, then I'm who I'm supposed to be. We want the highest position, we want the title, we want the fame, we want the respect, we want the benefits, we want the approval. And that's not saying it's bad to have a high position or to have a position, but what I've seen so often is when we just put all of our value in me trying to get a position, I get really insecure. Why? Because i got to keep that position. Because if I lose that position, then I lose everything in my life. Because I put everything and all my trust in this position. But what we see about leadership is leadership isn't about your position. It's about people. It's about ministering to others. And we see that in the next point. We see a leader must be humble. They're not about them. It's not about me. Well, then the next question is, then who is it about? If I'm not supposed to be the first focus, if I'm leading saying with with the idea of miles first, I'm doing it wrong. If everything I think through is like, okay, I'll serve you, but I got to think about me first. So let me look through my blinders and let me look through me and then I can look to you. No, we look to others first. And we see that in the second quality. He's humble, but he's also servant-minded. What does he do with that humility? Jesus is servant-minded. And we see this in, in the next verse, verse 43. But so shall it not be among you. Whatsoever ye will be, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefish shall be servant of all. I, I love what he says there. Jesus gives, in verse 42, he says, don't do this. This is what I don't want you to do. That's what he says at the beginning of verse 43. But so shall it not be among you. He says, I don't want you to be like those people. I don't want you to be all about yourself and all about strengthening your authority and all about control. I want you to change that. What do I want you to do? Jesus says it. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. That, that want to be great, that word great there talks about the idea of approval and fame. It's like if Jesus is saying, if you want to be approved, do you know how much we want to be approved in life? Like, we make so many decisions because I want to feel approved, right? Even writing the sermon, that's something I deal with. Like, I don't want everyone to boo me off the stage. going to be honest, right? That would, that would be preferred not to happen, right? That we bank a lot of what we do on approval. What Jesus is saying, before you even think that far, if you want to be great, you want that approval and you want that fame, what you got to do is be a minister. What the word minister means is servant. Idea of going and, and serving. It's, I have some teens who are like, all my teens are good at this, but I have some teens who are really, really embody this. Where they go and they serve quietly and they go and serve not to get that approval and fame. Like they do things, like they clean up a room and I walk into the room like, clean. I don't know who did it, but I'm really glad they did it, right? That it's this, this serving not to be noticed, and this serving not to, to build myself up. It's this serving to build others up, right? And we're going to see that in a second. So it says, it says, if you want to be great, you got to serve. If you want to be the chiefest, that's in verse 44, but whosoever you will be the chiefest, the chiefest is the top of all. Like, who wants to be the top? What pride is, is that we often want to be at the top. And Jesus says, if you even want to be at the top, if you even want to reach that, what you need to be is not focused on yourself. And make sure you run others down to promote yourself. And he says, be a servant of all. That word servant there, you've heard this word before, is doulos. 
It, it, means, it means slave. Like Jesus is serious about what he's saying. A slave, what a slave does is they give up their rights and status to serve someone else. He says, I want you to go and serve and not be, literally give up yourself to go to someone else. And then he says, very important two words. He says, he doesn't just say be a servant. He says, be a servant of all. We can't be selective on our service. And it's like, I like you, so I'll serve you. Well, I don't like you, so I'm not going to serve you, right? I'll do half of it. Like, I'll serve, but just let me do it with the people I'm comfortable with. That's not what he says. He says, serve them all. Serve the person at work that just really, really annoys you. Like, I, and we can be honest with ourselves, church, right? That there's people in your life that when they come up to you, you have to breathe this like deep sigh of like, oh, I have to talk to them. Okay, all right, I gotta prepare myself. I gotta get ready for this conversation. You don't really wanna talk to them, but you know you have to. You wanna try to be nice, but kind of like faking it a little bit. Jesus says to serve them too. Jesus says to serve the, the person who is, who is an outcast that no one wants to talk to. You see this all the time in high school. The person that's like, they're out there. And that's, that's the weird kid, and they stay over there, and I don't wanna go near them. No, we're supposed to serve them too. You're supposed to serve the people who are hidden in the background, the people who are right in front. You're supposed to serve all. Be a servant of all. Leaders serve not for what they can get, but for what they can give to others. All right, let's illustrate this, okay? All right, I have a ball, okay? All right, you ready? I'm going to throw it to one of you, okay? Your goal here, okay, is to catch it, okay? Very big goal, okay? I don't care who catches it, but someone's got to catch it, okay? All right, you ready? And then right after, well, we'll do this first. We'll do one step at a time, okay, ready? All right. Now, I have to throw well. That's kind of like the important part of this, right? Okay, here we go. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Okay, let's see. I think you got it, Abby. All right, Abby. Okay, you're going to throw it to me. Okay, almost died. All right, there we go. All right, now throw it to me. Ready? Beautiful. All right, give Abby a round of applause. That was good. All right? You're like, what could he possibly be illustrating with that? You know, no one when that happened, right? It was, it was kind of impressive. She threw it pretty far up there, and I, I kind of caught it. I'm so bad at throwing things. Like, I throw candy sometimes in teen class, and I hit people in the face, like, all the time. It's really a problem. It is, right? But I, when we do anything like that, like, as you saw it happen, when you applauded, who did you applaud? You applaud Abby, right? You know what you didn't applaud? The ball. You know why? Because it's a ball. You're all like... Yes, Miles, good job. You figured out it's a ball. Yeah, right? No, my point is, is that here's what service is about, right? Service is not about pointing to you. That was a tool. That was something that could have been used. Okay, we used the ball. The ball did what it was supposed to do, but the ball's not trying to take the credit. I know it's an inanimate object, right? But the ball's not trying to take the credit. What I so often see in myself is when I serve, my point of serving, and we talked about this already, is because I want the credit. Like, I, I, want, I want them to see me. But what we're supposed to do as Christians, and what Christ did in Philippians 2, is he pointed to someone greater. He pointed to the one who was actually throwing. I think sometimes we forget that we're not able to do any good apart from Christ. We're only able to serve people. We're only able to even do kind of good. Like Christ is up here, and our good's here, but we're still only able to do that because of Christ, because of his love. So when we serve, we can't say, wow, I'm great. Like, I'm really good at it. Like, look at me. Like, man, I'm so glad they had me to serve them. Like, they're really fortunate. No, what, what service is about is pointing to, I was only able to do that because of God's good grace. Here, here, let me do something kind for you, but let me remind you, I'm only able to do that kind of thing because of the greatest act of kindness. When you serve, it's about pointing to others. When you lead, and as you lead and as you serve, it's not about pointing back to you. It's not about you getting all the accolades. It's not about you uplifting yourself. 
right? And that goes right to it. Leadership is about lifting others up. It's not stomping over others to get yourself to the top. You've heard this phrase before of it's lonely at the top, right? You've heard that. And the implication of it's lonely at the top is like, man, it's real lonely at the top. Look how I made it up here. And I'm the best for getting up here. But in reality, if you really think about it, it is really lonely at the top. Because no one wants to be around the person who's like, I'm at the top. And I'm the best. No one wants to be around that person. We're going to be honest, right? That's saying, I'm better than all of you. I'll bow and subject to me. No one wants to be around that person. And what a leader does, what a biblical leader is supposed to do, is they don't want to stay at the top. Why? Because they're down at the bottom of the pyramid trying to push other people up to help them grow. Because it's not about them. They're saying, I'm lifting you up. And that's, that's what discipleship is, right? If you're in discipleship saying, I'm better than you, listen to me because I'm the sage of all wisdom, bow before me and listen to my teachings, you've done discipleship wrong. Because then the person who is discipling, or the person who is, who is making the transformation is you, and that's not how it works at all. It's Jesus who changes hearts, and Jesus who does the work. And, and what we do is, as leaders is we're supposed to push others to become something greater, knowing it's not by our power, but it's by Christ. And I'm only able to push people to Christ because he enabled me to do, them, do that. What is interesting to me is the example. We, we've all heard this, this passage in Mark 4, something like it, where we're supposed to serve. But this would have been like totally revolutionary for any of his readers. Because here's what the people of that time thought about especially on the, the highest people. Hit me with that next slide, Kevin. This is who they think about when they hear gods. They hear people who are in charge. When they hear leadership, the top leadership. Okay, this is what the, the religion was of this time. I'm talking more in the Roman terms and the Greek terms, right? These are the gods they thought of. This is what they thought leadership was. If I went through each one of those Greek myths and told you about them, you'd be like horrified. You'd be like, they're not, they're not great leaders. Like, they're, they're not great. Right? All of these leaders, these, these Greek gods, none of them were caring for people. And they're fake, right? There's these people making these stories. But the stories that these Greek people were believing, even the Roman people were believing, were based off of these. They were truly believing these stories. And their idea of a leader, of a god, was someone who doesn't care and is all about kind of trying to fulfill their lusts. Right? These gods were all about making sure they stood at the top and everyone else kind of bowed to their whims. And they got to do whatever they want. Is that is exactly what's referenced in verse 42. What we see in Jesus is that he was different. Jesus was so different than any of these gods. First, because he's real. He's the real God. But he was a God who was born in a stable, lived a commoner's life, wasn't, wasn't the fanciest by any means. And even in his ministry, he says he's still willing to love others. You've heard this verse before, but it's in John chapter 13 Verses 14 through 16. Jesus says, If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that has sent him. Now we have to make sure we understand what this means. It can, it can be taken out of context sometimes, what, what this passage is about. What we do see Jesus does is he goes to his disciples' feet and he washes them. And their feet were gross. And it was gross, right? And really think about it. Like, the Son of God, God incarnate, was on his knees washing his disciples' filthy feet. We probably wouldn't do that, 
right? We wouldn't do that. But like, the Lord of all is doing that. And remember, the focus isn't on the disciples, and it's not about how worthy they were. They were so unworthy. Peter, Peter addresses that. He's like, Lord, you shouldn't be washing my feet. But Jesus is saying here that he came to serve, and he came to die for them so that they could be saved from sin. The foot washing is point to something bigger. This is to point to, hey, I've come to serve you. You think this foot washing is a big deal? Just wait till I die on the cross to save you from your sins. That's the big deal. Jesus is pointing to that. And this foot washing, what it does show is that Jesus cared, and he cared more about just cleaning their feet. He cared about cleansing their sin. It's like, well, okay, Miles, what is the application of that? Should I wash people's feet? Not necessarily. But just like Christ, we have a responsibility to serve those around you. He does say here in this passage, he says, I'm doing this, so should you. When the Son of God says to do something and follow his example, we should probably follow it. It's probably wise. We are supposed to serve others, especially the people who follow you and are around you, the people in your family, those in your work, those at church here tonight and in the morning and always, those at school. What are you doing to help them grow and take their next steps to become more like Jesus? Think about them, not about you. That's being servant-minded. Now, we got one more quality. Okay, you're hanging in with me. We're, we're doing great. But we have humility. We have servant-mindedness. Let me see something interesting. I think it's very important to think about with leadership. We see that he obediently is following. He obediently follows. See this verse 45. It's kind of like the main point of Mark. This is the climax of Mark. It says, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life as a ransom for many. The main point of Mark and the main point of leadership and the whole point of Christ's ministry, he says it right here. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto. He didn't say, everybody serve me. I'm here. Your king is here. He says, I've come to serve you, to minister. He says right there that, that he's come to serve others. And that should really stop us dead in our tracks. That's the whole, whole sermon we've covered so far is that he came to serve us. We should follow his example. Now, here's the next part. This is so important. Verse 45, and to give his life as a ransom for many. To give his life as the payment for our sins. And it says for many, and what that means is all, the whole world. Christ performed the greatest act of service this world has or ever will know by dying on the cross for our sins. And he led by example. He said, this is how you serve. The greatest of all led by serving. But a detail we often miss is that Jesus followed God's leading by dying on the cross. It was part of God's providential plan from the start of Genesis. That Genesis 3.15 says there's someone coming that's going to save and redeem the world. And what we see in Philippians, if we go all the way back to Philippians 2.8, we see that Jesus is shown to obediently obey and follow what his father said to do. And it's a very important part of leadership. Before you can lead you must be willing to follow. I, I've, I've said this myself, but I've also met, met a lot of leaders. And what we can oftentimes say ourselves is when you become a leader, then you no longer have to follow anyone. And once I reach that position, then I no longer have to follow anyone. But that's completely false. It's a dangerous place to be where you said, I, I've reached the pinnacle of leadership. I got this. I know what I'm doing. I, I know all I need for leading. I don't need anyone else's direction. But before we can even lead, we must follow. Just as we as believers are commanded to be leaders, we are also commanded to be followers. I mean, think about this. You know this. In a family, there's, there's, there's kids, and then there's, there's the parents who are over them, and then you have 
Scripture says there's the wife and the husband is supposed to be the head of the household. But it's not like it stops at the husband. It's like, oh, the husband's the greatest, right? The husband's supposed to be following God, the greatest of all. Even the husband is following. The wife's following. The kids are following. I even think about, by, about being a student pastor, right? That the students follow my example. Is it like, because I'm the pinnacle of example? No, I'm also following. I'm following Pastor Ben's example as he leads as a senior pastor. And he doesn't just have free range. You know who he's following? The greatest of all, God, right? There's this following of leadership, and it's kind of like a duh, but we have to make sure that every leader is supposed to be following the greatest, who is God. We're supposed to be following someone else's lead. And we see that Jesus was the perfect leader and the perfect follower. In order to be the perfect leader, you have to first be willing to follow. You have to be able to follow. And we see this. It's, it's clear in Scripture. It's in John 8, 28 through 29. And Jesus said to them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, ye shall know that I am he, that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that hath sent me is with me. The Father hath not let me, left me alone. For I do always those things that please him. What he's saying is, my father told me to do this, and I obediently followed. Now you are to obediently follow me. And he reminds his disciples in verse 28, his, his whole ministry, and even his crucifixion, we see that in verse 20, when he's lifted up, he's following his father's will. He's doing and speaking as he was commanded. And then verse 29, he's doing it, and he's pleasing the father. Jesus is fully God and fully man, but he functions in the Trinity, and he obeyed the father's will. He didn't question. He didn't fight back. He didn't do his own thing. He followed. And you will never be able to properly lead unless you follow another with humility and teachability. The greatest act of following is following God and submitting to his leadership. Let's make it really pointed for us. I can never be an effective and influential spouse Father, mother, employer, employee, church member, teacher, student, discipler, evangelist, pastor, unless you're able to follow another's lead. You don't have it all. And don't try to put it on your shoulders because you stress yourself out because you're going to realize you can't do it. If you're going to lead and you want to lead and you want to lead well, I believe you have that desire here tonight. What you have to do is say, Lord, help me to lead. And he says, follow me. And I will give you the train. I'll give you the help. I'll give you the strength. I will give you the peace. He says, you're not supposed to try to lead by yourself because you're following me. And that's really good because he's the greatest leader. He kind of knows what he's doing. So we can follow what he's doing. In summary, Jesus was humble. It wasn't about him. He was servant-minded. It was about others, and he obediently followed. He followed his father's leading. You know, in college, if I'm going to be honest, and this is a very prideful thing to think, so I, I'm going to be honest with you, is in college, I really thought that I, like, had leadership down. And what I'm going to tell you is not to pat myself on the back, okay? This is, this is a bad way to think. But in, in college, especially during my senior year, I thought I had leadership down because I was, I had, I, like we talked about, I had all these different positions, right? I was, I was the leader of a freshman. I was a leader of a discipleship group. Uh, I, was, I was the a group of guys chaplain. I was the student body chaplain. I was leading a, a nursing home uh, ministry. I was leading a mission strip. I was running a youth group. And if you're like, wow, I was really thinking really high of yourself. No, I really did. Because I was like, look at all the things I'm doing. I must be a good leader. Because I got all these positions. And I got all these things I'm doing in ministry. And I thought I had it down. But what was really cool is, this might sound surprising to you, but I think it's true, is that when I got married, an amazing thing happened. I realized how much of my leadership revolved around uplifting me. 
And why I was leading is because I was really focused on me. And what marriage did is it's awesome, is it put a mirror to me and it made me see like just how selfish I am. And how oftentimes the leadership decisions I make that I thought were about others, they often revolved around me. Now I made this decision because I was like, well, this, this makes me feel better. And this uplifts me. And I thought it'd be easy because I have the sweetest human in the world that I'm married to. And I was like, it'll be easy for us to be able to lead, but I focus on myself so much. And I, I so often try to lead to promote my, myself first rather than, than her. But what leadership is, is not just having a whole bunch of positions, not having a whole bunch of titles, not having a whole bunch that you've done. You can do the most and still fail. What leadership is being able to say, it's not about me. It's about you. It's about me giving glory to Christ as I do it. True leadership is God first, others next, self last. And I can't do it perfectly. But I follow the leading of the one who did. Christ exemplified this perfectly. He obeyed his father. He died as the ransom for our sins, rose again, calls us to believe. And the best step to leading is to follow him. Christ showed us what leadership is all about. What we see is that when we steward, when we actually go and we see Christ and we follow him, we see that he really makes us impactful. When we steward, when we actually steward our relationship, what he does is he allows us to actually influence others and make a difference for the glory of God. We can make a difference for the glory of God and we can make a difference in our leadership. You can make a difference in your leadership role that God has placed you in at this exact time. You can make a difference in your family, in your work, in your school, in your church, in your friend group. And there's this heavy focus on knowing we should steward, but how? Let's make it really applicable for us. First, I want you to identify, we talked about this at the beginning, but identify where you are a leader. Or it might be like where I want to be as a leader, but even right now, you have a leadership role. Where is it right now? And then begin to serve. It's like, well, where's the list of, of principles and strategies and case studies and the clever catchphrases? Those have their place, but I see Jesus gave none of that. What he told us to do as leaders, he says, serve. Like, well, Jesus, I need a little bit, a little bit more of that. Like, how am I supposed to lead? He says, serve. No, but like, serve, serve. It's about serving. So I have a question for you. What can you do this week to serve another? And I want you to make that really practical. Like, literally, I want you to take your pen. You have a sheet of paper. Write it down. Like, don't just, just be like, yeah, yeah, he's right. I should serve. Yeah, so what's for dinner tonight? Like, let's move on. No, it's like, right now, make a commitment to yourself, as I should. Not, not just you, as, as I should. What can I do to serve another? Truly, write it down some more. Think about it. Meditate on it. Pray on it. How can I serve my family? How can I serve my kids? Like, how can I serve my, my spouse? I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit older. How can I serve the younger? We're all older than someone, so how can we serve a younger? How can, I, how can the higher grade in school serve the lower grade? How can the boss serve the employee? And really, to, to serve is not like you're saying, you should, you should do this. He says, serve. Like, do this. Now, you should do this. Do this. And it makes a difference. You know, there's this guy named John, John Maxwell. He does this thing called the top ten. And each, each um, I don't know if he does it for a year. He probably does it for longer. But he chooses ten people to really focus on serving. He says, here are my ten people. Because sometimes we get overwhelmed. There's like so many people to serve. But I encourage you, you can do that. Choose, choose the top ten. Choose five. Choose what's, what's probably best is choose people you're closest to. 
Like, start serving your family. And then, all right, we're branching out. Start serving your church, your friends, your school, your work. And what you will notice, this is cool, what you will notice when you start serving people, people will want to follow your leadership. Because they realize it's not about you. No one wants to follow someone. It's, it's all about them. It's like, I don't want to follow you. You're just about making yourself successful. You don't really care about me. Well, we, we all know Christ cared about us. Why? Because he came to serve. And it's not about pointing to me. It's about pointing to God and giving him the glory. Successful leadership is not determined by accomplishments or fame, but by humbly serving others for the glory of his name. Let's pray.